Our Father in heaven, we thank you once again for the privilege to be able to come together as a family to study your word. And we thank you, Lord, that again you're helping us to understand some very important principles as it relates to truly getting a control, getting a greater understanding of this issue of licentiousness that is running all throughout, not merely the world, but also in the church. And our hope and our prayers that you will give us wisdom keys that will enable us by your grace to come up upon higher ground. Bless us now to this end, we ask, for we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so when we deal with the, you know, our last subject, we dealt with um, dress and sexuality. Uh, did my heart, you know, well. I, again, I was very grateful, but, you know, I'm nowhere near satisfied. My hope is that we can really go point by point through that, and I'm seeing one of the best ways to do that. For those of you who are joining us for this class for the first time, welcome, welcome, welcome. Uh, we, I want to say very quickly, we have a YouTube channel that is getting ready to come up on the scene. We've been asked about it for quite some time, and we're asking that if you do not know of our ministry, first and foremost, I'm Dwayne Lemon. This is my bride, Alexandra, and uh, our four gifts from God, Jared, Kayla, Caleb, and Jada, our children, are presently over at Meet Ministry receiving training for gospel medical missionary evangelism. We're grateful to God for that. And we are a ministry that desires to truly help a people prepare to meet their God, addressing practical godliness in light of last day events. Um, if you are not familiar with us, you can always go to our website, pthministries.com. And there's a little button on the front page that says sign up and you can click on that button and that's how we can notify you when the YouTube channel is up. We really want to put a lot of programs up that deal with a lot of practical, very real issues that we're facing in our world today and by God's grace, how to overcome it through the merits of Christ. So as we're now into this session, we're no longer dealing with diet. I'm sorry, with dress and sexuality, but we are dealing with diet and sexuality. A lot of people do not think that there is a connection between what we eat and how it can impact us as it relates to moral behavior. Well, let's go ahead and let's take a look at Proverbs. I want us to go to the book of Proverbs chapter 30, and I want you to see what the Bible says because it introduces a thought that we would do well to consider. Proverbs 30, and we're going to consider verses 7 to 9, and you'll see that the Bible does bring out to us that there are ways that we can eat. There are ways that we can drink that can have an impact upon us that affects us in our decision making. And so you'll find in Proverbs 30. Now, when you get there, just let me know by saying amen. amen. Proverbs 30 verses 7 through 9. So Solomon, the wise man, required two things. And here's what he says in Proverbs 30, starting at verse 7. He says, two things have I required of thee. Deny me them not before I die. He says, give me neither what? Poverty nor riches. Then what else does he say? Feed me, Feed me with food that is convenient. The word convenient, sufficient. Okay? Feed me with food that is sufficient for me. Then he says, lest I be what? Full. And then what will happen? I will deny thee and say, who is the Lord. Solomon seemed to have understood 
there is a connection between diet or shall I say appetite. When we say diet, a synonymous term we can use is appetite because you, whenever you think about dietary practices like eating, it's based on having an appetite. So when we think about that, appetite is very much connected to our decision making. And this is what Solomon was trying to teach us in Proverbs 30. What you eat and what you drink can have an impact on you that can affect your decisions, okay? Now, we know this to be so in the practical world. We don't need a whole lot of education on this. I mean, think about it. When you think about alcohol, right? Alcohol, the Bible says very clearly, it is not for kings, O Lemuel. It is not for kings to drink wine, nor princes strong drink. Lest they drink, and what will happen? They will forget the law, and then do what else? pervert the judgment of any of the afflicted. You know, when people are afflicted, you can be afflicted mentally, you can be afflicted spiritually, you can be afflicted uh, physically. And in any of these cases, if I am drinking alcohol, I can get inebriated to the point that I can wrongfully judge the afflicted. And that I can say, you're not, there's nothing wrong with you, you're just fine. Oh, everything's okay. Oh, actually, we should do this. And we make all sorts of decisions. It's not that we're indifferent to the afflicted, but it says that our judgment will be perverted. And this is what happens when we drink alcohol. So, we, I mean, again, this is not very hard for us to understand that what I drink can affect my mind that impacts my decision-making abilities. Think about it. You got somebody who's driving on the road. They're drinking alcohol. You say to them, hey, you shouldn't do that. That's wrong. It's going to get somebody hurt or yourself. They say, no, nah, I'm all right. And they keep going until ultimately, instead of making a good decision, they make a very, very bad decision. It's that easy. But again, what goes back to it? It was the consumption of the alcohol. That consumption of the alcohol had an impact on the mind that caused them to make wrong decisions rather than right decisions. So the Bible and just our practical daily life and living, and especially if any of us have ever drunk in alcohol, we know for a fact that there's ways you can drink that negatively impacts your ability to make good decisions. It's not only that. Foods that are high in trans fatty acids, believe it or not, foods that are high in trans fatty acids, that's a lot of the types of foods that you're seeing on the screen. All of these things are what we call foods high in trans fatty acids. A lot of fried foods, you know, a lot, even the donuts a lot of times, you know, the deep fried. Of course, you got the eggs and the bacon and all of these different things. A lot of these foods are high in what's called trans fatty acids. Well, guess what? If you look at this, the Bible says, Blessed art thou, O land, when thy king is the son of nobles, and thy princes eat in due season for what? For strength and not for drunkenness. When you and I eat food, we are always to think, how will this strengthen me? There's a lot of things out there that can just tickle our taste buds. A lot of stuff. And it can give you nothing good, like white sugar. You know, white sugar gives you nothing good. It has, not, it has zero nutrients. It gives you nothing good. But white sugar is a thief because while it gives you no nutrients, it requires nutrients to be metabolized, which are your B vitamins. So white sugar is literally a thief. And your B vitamins are needed to get good rest. Your B vitamins are needed for your nervous system. You know what I'm saying? So it's amazing how there's certain foods that give us nothing. But God says the kind of food my children of royalty should be eating are the things that strengthen you, not the things that make you weak. You get that? So when you look at, again, the things like the trans fatty acids, Here's a pretty nice article. 
A growing body of research indicates that what we eat may affect how angry we feel. It says, yet for many, the food mood link still has an aura of quackery. It says one recent University of California study showed that greater trans fatty acids were significantly associated with greater aggression says lead author and professor Beatrice Gollum. Trans fats interfere with omega-3 metabolism, and apparently the brain's neurons need these essential fatty acids to keep us bright and snappy. Lack of omega-3 has already been linked with depression and antisocial behavior, and according to some experts, it seems many of us post-industrialists have woefully omega-3 deficient diets. So literally, too much trans fat intake can impact the ability of the omega-3s being properly metabolized in our system, which we desperately need for good neuron function as well as good cardiovascular function. When you think of omega-3s, think three things, ALA, EPA, DHA. That's what makes up all of your omega-3. Flaxseed only gives you ALA. So if you're trying to say, oh, I get my omega-3 because I take a lot of flaxseed. Well, that's good for your ALA. What about your EPA? What about your DHA? You still need something else. And for many of us who practice a whole food, plant-based diet, more than likely, you're going to have to supplement. All right? If you want to see me afterwards, I'll talk about an excellent supplement you can use that is totally plant-based vegan, and you can get your EPA and DHA from that. So now with your flax plus your supplementation, you're getting perfect omega-3, which obviously helps for good brain function and cardiovascular function. The point is that it's amazing how high levels of trans fatty acids as a result of blocking some of that impact of omega-3s can ultimately cause our minds to be more susceptible to answering to the lower passions, getting angry, getting upset, or if you do not know how to control yourself when it comes to sexual urges, it can cause you to go down a vicious road of sexual indulgence. This is the reason why not only do we see these principles in science, Ecclesiastes 10 17, you know, Proverbs 31, 4 and 5, drinking and eating things can affect our decision making. But Ellen White makes a statement in Councils on Diets and Foods, page 404, paragraph 3. Erroneous eating and drinking result in erroneous thinking and acting. That is the principle you want to understand. Wrong ways of eating and drinking result in wrong ways of thinking and acting. We just saw that. Wrong way of drinking, alcohol consumption, messes with the way we think, causes us to act in certain ways that are destructive. Wrong ways of eating, messes with the way we think, causes us to act and make things and do things that are wrong and detrimental to us. And so there is a connection, there's a link between the diet and our decision-making and our behaviors. We see this from the Bible, we can see this from true science, and we obviously can see it when we kind of think a little bit common sense. This is why the question next is, sexuality is also a decision, you know? It's a decision like anything else. And I want to show you what the Bible in type. You see, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I want you to see what the Bible says here. This is something very important for us to consider. Establishing these facts that we just looked at, I want you to watch what 1 Corinthians chapter 10 says. And it's a very important verse in verse 11. In 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 4, it talks about the children of Israel as they left Egypt and how 
God was providing them their water through the rock, and that rock was Christ. But then after that, in 1 Corinthians 10, verses 5 to 10, it starts talking about the children of Israel's failures. It starts talking about how they fornicated, they complained, they did all these bad things and suffered judgments. God says something in verse 11 we cannot gloss over. What does he say in verse 11? God says, Now all these things happen unto them. Who's the them? That's the children of Israel. All these things happen unto them for what? For ensamples. If any of you have a middle margin in your Bible, you should see something in that middle margin where it says types. Do you, do you see that? If you have a middle margin in your Bible? Yeah, it says types. Some of us, I don't have a middle margin because I'm still using my phone for my Bible. Just remember. Just remember. That battery can die and it can get hit with a virus. And then after a while, you need to make sure you still have a word. I would like to encourage you when it comes to Bible study, have your Bible. Really and truly, I, I want to encourage you to do that. I know a lot of us are moving into the electronic world. It disables you on many levels. There are scientific studies that show factually the way the frontal lobe works, that electronic reading is far more difficult to fully comprehend in comparison to reading from a book. Yep. Literally, I, I mean, the, the science is out. It's on there. So e-reading is helpful. I'm a guy who my second home sometimes is an airplane. And so sometimes on an airplane, I can't carry a whole library with me in my backpack. I break my back. So obviously, I'm thankful when I got my iPad and I can, oh, let me reference this and I can pull a little ebook here, ebook there. But as much as practical and possible, carry your Bible. Get a small one. That's all right. Get a small one. But just carry your Bible with you. I want to encourage you to do that. It'll help your mind stay sharper on the verses that you read. All right. Our brains were meant to do paper reading, not so much all this electronic reading. It's just messing with us. There are literal scientific studies that show electronic reading and comprehension is depreciated in comparison to reading from a book. All right. Just giving you that. Now, again, all these things happen unto them for in samples or types. All right. Now, if you have a type. You should also have something called an anti-type. Whenever you think type, I'm going to keep it simple. Think type, symbol, anti-type, reality. Is that easy? Type, symbol, anti-type, reality. Here's another way of doing it. Every time you go outside, you'll never forget this. I guarantee you. Every time you go outside, when the sun shines on your body, it puts a type on the ground. What is that type called? Shadow. shadow. That shadow is a reflection of? A reality which is your body okay so every time the sun shines on you you see your shadow just say oh typology there it is right there that's typology okay the Bible says the children of Israel in their journey from Egypt to Canaan land it says all these things that happen to them they are types that means that God's people not in exactness but in principle, are going to go through the same experiences that the children of Israel went through. Do you understand that? How do we know that? Because it, continue in the verse. Are you still in the verse? 1 Corinthians 10, 11. It says, now all these things happen unto them for types. And they are written for whose admonition? Our, Our admonition. Now, who's writing this? As Paul. So Paul, is he a believer or an unbeliever? He's, an, he's a believer. So He's talking about our, meaning the believers. But then he contextualizes it even more. He says, our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. So Paul is dealing with the believers in the time of the end. Is that you? That's me too. Now watch this. 
That means that when we look at the experiences of the children of Israel and we watch them on their journey from Egypt, which is representative of the bondage of sin, to Canaan land, which is the representation of heaven, it says that they went through experiences that we too are going to go through similar experiences. You follow that? Now watch this. Here we go. When you look at Numbers 25, turn there. When you look at Numbers 25, now we just saw very factually, we saw scientifically and we saw biblically that what you eat impacts your ability to make decisions. Did we see that from the Bible? Yes, we did. Do we see that from just common day experiences and true science? Absolutely. Now, watch this. In Numbers, the 25th chapter, I want you to watch what the Bible says. Numbers 25. Numbers 25. Yeah. Numbers 25. All right, here we go. So in Numbers, the 25th chapter, verses 1 to 3, here's what the Bible says. The Bible says, And Israel abode in Shittim, and the people began to commit something. What did they commit? Does that deal with harlotry? Yes. Does that deal with sexuality? Yes. Right? Then it says, With the daughters of Moab. Then it says, And they called the people unto the sacrifices of their gods. And the people did eat and bowed down to their gods. And Israel joined himself unto Baal Peor, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. When the children of Israel were right at the bank of the Jordan, I mean, you literally, you're like right here. The Jordan is right here. Beyond the Jordan is Canaan. You got that? So they're at the bank of Jordan. They're at the place where they are like heaven. Heaven is in view. You understand that? The devil pulls out his master weapon. The devil says, I will get them with sexual sin. Right? And the sexual sin was with the daughters of Moabab, these Moab, these Moabite women. Now, I mean, this is so deep to me. Did you see one of the things? Did they commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab? But did you see why? Did you see what it said in verse two? Look again at verse two. It says in verse two, and they called the people unto the sacrifices of their God. So in other words, there was a gathering where the people were offering sacrifices unto their gods. Now, every time these gatherings took place, there was music, there was dancing, but you never had a sacrifice to the gods without some food. And so notice, not all they came to the sacrifices of their God, but then it says, and the people did eat. And then what happened next? And then the people bowed down to their gods. It was like the eating of the food was the precursor before ultimately them bowing down to their gods. They made a decision. What they were eating played a role in impacting their minds to make that decision. You understand that? This is why we have to understand there's no question that there's a connection between diet and sexuality. Making decisions, good or bad, by the way you and I eat. And so God always wanted us to understand this, is that there's a way you and I can eat that it can impact the mind that we can end up indulging in decisions and habits and choices that can lead to our destruction, just like the guy who decides to drink that alcohol while driving. 
just like the person who indulges in all these trans fatty acid foods and they're eating it and eating it and they're wondering why is it my mind can't focus and when they have to make decisions they go with what comes natural my friends you don't want to go with what comes natural the bible tells us how we are naturally the bible says that our hearts are deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it you do not want to just do what's natural you must always do what's supernatural but in order to do that, our minds must be prepared to hear God speak. You understand that? God speaks to you. He doesn't control you. Do you get that difference? God speaks to you. He expects you to listen. And then you choose to do what he says. We know this to be true because in Joshua 24, verses 14 and 15, the Bible tells us, choose this day whom you will serve. In 1 Kings 18 and verse 21 Elijah says if the Lord be God follow him in Deuteronomy 30 and verse 19 God says I present before you life and death blessings and cursings choose life so God is an Isaiah 118 God come now let's reason together so God don't go around just mm, controlling your mind and saying, do this and do that. God does not control people. He reasons with people and he encourages you and I make decisions. So God says, the reason I've given you diet reform, the reason I've given you health reform is because I want you to make right decisions. I want you to choose right and I want you to choose well. I love Isaiah 1. Go to Isaiah 1. You know, we always live, we're living in the time of Isaiah 1, 16 and 17. I always like the last statement in verse 16 and the first statement in verse 17. We're living in that time right now. This is, this is the approach to health that God has given to us, even as Seventh-day Adventist Christians, that we are to share with our Pentecostal friends, our Baptist friends, our Methodist friends, our Muslim friends, our Buddhist friends, even our atheist friends, our agnostic friends, our deist friends, our Jehovah's Witnesses friends. It's like all of our friends in the various communities, God says, these principles I'm teaching you, go teach it to them. And what is that principle? Isaiah 1 and verse 16. What are the last four words in the verse? Cease to do evil. What are the first four words in verse 17? Learn to do well. That's your mission. My job, your job, our lives is a life of ceasing to do evil and learning to do well. And then our job is to impart those thought processes to every other person we come in contact with. When somebody gets sick or when they go through drama, don't just simply give them a pill, a drink or anything. What you want to do is say, OK, let's find out what caused this. And whatever caused it, let's cease doing that. And now let's learn to do something better. You get that? A lot of us are in a death trap right now in life because we keep doing the same wrong things. I mean, I know people who are, they're languishing in their spirituality. They're like, why am I not growing anymore? I feel like I'm just stuck. And I'm like, what are you doing different than what you did six months ago? What are you doing different than you did a year ago? And I say this even to the evangelists and preachers and teachers in this room. What are you doing different than what you did a year ago? You got up to a certain place because of what you did. But God says, no, nah, I want more. God says, I want more from you. Give me more. Don't just be satisfied. Give me more. There's more rounds upon Jacob's ladder we must climb. And so it is that God says to us, erroneous eating and drinking ultimately results in erroneous thinking and acting. And if you want to get to a place that you make right decisions, 
God says, I need you to start thinking more about your decisions and how you go about your decisions. So again, when we look at Baal Peor in Numbers 25, we see that in the type, yes, the people went and committed whoredom. And you know, I use this term present truth very loosely. I don't call myself that, by the way. And don't call me that, please. <laughs> don't call me a present truth preacher, you know, or whatever. It, and the reason why I say that, I know that what I teach is the truth for this time. That's not even a question for me. But what it is, is that, you know, today it's a camp. Right. And I don't want to be part of the camp. You know, because I'm not happy with a lot of things going on in that camp. And I don't want to associate myself with that camp. Okay? So I don't go around calling myself a present truth preacher or I'm present truth. People come to me all the time. Hey, brother, are you into the present truth? And I'm like, what present truth are you talking about? You know, because there's, there's a lot of things people call present truth that's not really present truth. Or it's a really perverted, weird, lopsided present truth. So, no. It, it, you know, what I'm saying when I say present truth, there's a lot of people in this thing called present truth that a lot of times we often go to Numbers 25 and we totally bypass the immediate local interpretation of the verse. And we go into typology and we start talking about, oh, women represents the church and the church is a foul and da-da-da and we're learning and eating and dancing with Babylonians. And, and I'm like, you know what? That's true. But how about you teach the local literal interpretation? People were falling into sexual sin because they couldn't control their appetites. Amen. That's the direct teaching from the verse. And we got to teach that. <laughs> you know, we got to teach that to people. So therefore, when we think about this, God wants us to understand there are two things he especially wants us to consider. In this study, two things that we need to consider as a result of understanding what I eat can affect my mind in such a way that I can not only make wrong decisions, not merely about driving to destinations and whatnot, I can make wrong decisions when it comes to my sexual practices. So, number one, the first thing you want to guard is what you eat. We got to look more carefully at what we eat. We have to be mindful about what we eat. The Bible is very clear about many, many things as it relates to what to eat. And what I want you to think about is when God gave these instructions to his people, he had your best interest in mind. Like I want you to remember, that, okay? He had yours and my best interest in mind when he gave his biblical instructions. One of the first things that I think is very obvious that we would do well to consider is what God said about that which today we call unclean. The Bible says in Leviticus 11 and verse 11, and I like the, I like the verbiage that God uses in Leviticus 11, 11. God says, they shall be even an abomination. But what's the last two words there? Unto you. Unto you. You shall not eat of their flesh, but you shall have their carcasses in abomination. He was talking about the pigs and the rabbits and the birds of prey and all of the various types of shellfish and the list goes on. God was saying these things are really, really dangerous for us to consume. For you, somebody gave me Romans 14 and 14, which says there's nothing unclean unto itself. And I said, amen, you're right. What's your point? So that's what somebody came to me. So that's what I said to them. They, they, they said, Brother Lemon, because I just taught this. And they said, oh, Brother Lemon, but, you know, the Bible says there's nothing unclean unto itself. I was like, oh, yeah, you're absolutely right. But what's that got to do with what we're talking about? And he said, oh, well, the reason why you know, the Bible just said there's nothing unclean. So he, he was trying to say Romans 14 contradicted 
what I said here. I said, no, it doesn't contradict at all. I said, what the Bible is showing is that a pig is not unclean unto itself. Do you get that? A pig is not unclean to itself. Uh, you know, a, a snake is not unclean to itself and it's not unclean to another snake. That's why the verse did not just say it was an abomination, period. What God says, it was an abomination, what? Unto you. God says, that's you. You're my child. Parents, you ever heard, you ever had your child say, mom and dad, I, I noticed the children, even in the church, I noticed the children doing something that you said we can't do. So why can't we, mother, do what they're doing? The mother said, look, because you're my child and because you're God's child. And God says this. And therefore, we bring that back. This instruction is for you. I can't speak for other families, but this is for you. This is clearly what God is saying to you. You need to obey that. And so God says, listen, yes, these things are unclean unto themselves. But God says to you, it is unclean. And so these are things that we do not want to indulge in because the word of God says so. And there's plenty of science showing that these things are bad for us. Now, continuing Genesis 9, 3 and 4. In Genesis 9, 3 and 4. We have additional instruction. Now, this is where some of us in this room, if there's if all of you are a bunch of vegetarians in this room, maybe you are, um, then obviously, you know, at least you won't have to leave here with conviction. But if any of you are in this room and you eat animal products, you know, what I'm saying if you're still eating, you know, the flesh of any type of animal, chicken, beef, fish, goat, you know, whatever, then this is something you want to consider when God allowed man to eat the flesh of clean animals. When God made that distinction, this is what he said. This is the first time you read this. God says, every moving thing that liveth shall be food for you. Even as the green herb have I given you all things. But then he says, but flesh with the what? Life, Life thereof, which is the blood thereof, shall ye not eat. So what as fast as God allowed men to consume clean animals. Somehow we forgot this. As fast as God allowed men to eat clean animals, which is in Genesis 9, which, by the way, there were no Jews in existence, right? God says, do not eat their blood. God made it clear. Do not eat the blood of the animal. And all these animals have one thing in common. They all have blood flowing throughout whatever they have as veins, vessels or what have you. So here it is. God says that blood has to come out. And that was a process called kosherization. Okay. now continuing. In Leviticus 3, added to this principle, as man began to consume the flesh of animals, God also said, it shall be a perpetual statute for your generations throughout all your dwellings that you eat neither what? Fat nor blood. Notice that. So no fat, no blood. So again, God was making it clear. The food that you eat, even if you eat an animal, if it's clean, no blood, no fat. These were the two things that were supposed to be extracted from the animal. All right. How serious was it if mankind violated these principles? First Samuel 14, 32 and 33 says, And the people flew upon the spoil and took sheep and oxen and calves and slew them on the ground. And the people did eat them with the blood. Then they told Saul, saying, Behold, the people do what against the Lord? They sin against the Lord and that they eat with the blood. You know, can you imagine telling somebody today 
The same way that people outside of our church look at us as weird when we tell them eating pork is a sin and we quote Isaiah 66 and onward and talk about the abomination. We quote these things and we say that to them. But if we're eating chicken, beef, fish and the things that we call that the Bible calls clean animals, but we're eating it with the fat and with the blood still intermingled in its flesh. The Bible says that's a sin. That's like we are on no vantage ground. If we're eating clean animals with the fat and blood still intermingled in his flesh while we're sitting next to somebody who's eating that pork ham sandwich. And we would think like, you know, we eating our bloody burgers and we're just like, mm. and, you know, we're just looking at that person like sinner. They don't understand. <laughs> and they, and they're, they're, they're like, you need to read your Bible again because they're like, you're sinning, too. So that's something for us to really take into consideration, okay? Again, I say it not for the purpose of condemnation because there's no condemnation in this room. The purpose is for what? Education. 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 By the way, when you get sick and you go to a doctor, how does the doctor determine if you're sick or not? They're going to check your blood. Isn't that right? So what does that tell us? That tells us disease flows through. So that's why God said don't eat the blood of the animal. Doesn't that make sense? Do you see why God would say take the blood out? God says, take that blood out. Fat. God says, take the fat out. Take it out. Because this is where you can get sick. Yes, my sister. How can you take the blood out totally? I mean, it, even though you kosherize it, wouldn't you still have blood in the animal? Not necessarily. Actually, there are some very thorough ways that you can perform kosherization. It is extremely laborious. It is extremely laborious. But nevertheless, you can get it out. And you'll know because when you eat chicken that's been kosherized, it's going to taste very different from KFC. <laughs> it really is. You, get, you just take a, All you got to do is borrow a brother's belt and just chew on it and say, ah, oh, this is what kosher chicken tastes like because that's what it tastes like. So it just tastes like leather. I mean, it just tastes like a nasty leather. So a lot of times you'll find that, quite honestly, it's the truth. But it, it's very laborious. It's almost like God wanted us to understand don't it's better to just do without it and that's why even many years ago probably i mean you can go back just about 50 years ago i go to the days of my parents in their youth uh eating meat was a luxury it wasn't even as common like today there is an absolute correlation to the amount of disease and sickness that's running through our world to the fact that today we eat meat for breakfast we eat it for dinner we eat it for lunch we eat it for snacks and we're just wondering why is it that we're just so out of control and so, again, when we're looking at these principles from the word of God, we're seeing that God all along was warning us about the foods that we eat, not merely for health's sake, but to help control those passions. Because you and I all have a sinful nature, family. Let's just, you know, let, let, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't mind people going high on Jacob's ladder, but I don't like it when people get fake with me. It's like we cannot act like we don't know what sin is anymore we don't know what temptation is anymore and we don't know what it is to be human anymore we all have a sinful nature we are going to have that sinful nature until jesus comes we can have victory over sin but we're still going to have that sinful nature there's always going to be something in us that's going to have a call and a bend to do that which is wrong and as we cultivate Christ, our righteousness, and his principles in our lives, we can give victory over every temptation, over every sin. Praise the Lord. But we must understand that that call and that woo is there. And so as long as there's nothing wrong with you, and and I I say that very honestly, and I say that, um, I say it sensitively to the point that I'm saying some of us have been so damaged 
that sex to us is very disgusting. Some people are disgusted by it of damage that's because something happened that should never had happened you get that but if we have not gone through those type of experiences we are all wired to respond to sensuality and sexuality and when the temptation comes god expects us to do what resist it you understand that resist the devil and he will flee as we submit right but the key is submitting so here's the issue. God is showing us through the principles of diet, especially if we're eating the animal flesh with the blood. God says that thing can fever the blood in such a way that when it's time to resist what naturally our body would want, it's going to be very, very difficult. It's going to be extremely difficult. And so this is why God says, I need my people to control what they're putting in their mouths. I need them to control their appetite because it's an assistant in submission and resistance. Remember that appetite is an assistant in two things, submission to God and resisting the devil. Go to Isaiah chapter seven. Let me show you something. I want you to go to Isaiah seven. Let's look at Jesus just for a moment. I hope you love looking at him for more than a moment, but we're just going to look right here. Isaiah 7. And I love this. You know, you remember this prophecy. Isaiah 7. This, this, this was put there in the verse on purpose. Because <laughs> we, over, we overcome as he overcame. So watch this. Isaiah 7. What does it say in verse 14? You remember that, I'm sure. In Isaiah 7 and verse 14, the Bible says, Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold a what? A virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name what? Emmanuel. Now watch. Verse 15. Butter and honey shall he eat that he may what? Know to do what? Refuse the evil and choose the good. Do you see how God connected Emmanuel's dietary choices? Jesus's diet was not just butter and honey, but the butter and honey principle represented a very simple diet. It was the very simple common diet of the day. All right. It wasn't a very high stimulating diet at all. It was very simple. And so it is that that simple diet that Jesus was partaking of. The Bible says it aided him in doing two things. What were the two things? Refusing the evil, choosing the good. So remember, when you eat food, when I eat food, it's assisting me. It's assisting me in submitting to God and resisting the devil. God always knew this. And we saw in our previous study in Galatians chapter 5, what's, the la what's those, those four things that in Galatians 5, 19? Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, all sexual sin. The devil is going to use sexual sin as his secret weapon. What was the last battle that God's people faced right before heaven? Sexual sin. So God is saying, how did the people fall? The Bible says they came to their little party and they ate and then bowed down. Why is it that when God told Daniel, Daniel, we need to change your name. Daniel says, no problem. I know my name. Daniel, we need to change your education. No problem. I'm already rooted in true education. All right. All right. Daniel, we need to change your diet. Daniel said, guys, listen, right here, we, we got to speak up, even if it means we lose our lives. And Daniel and his three faithful friends said, all right, the other stuff, they, did, they, were, they sat in class and they was like, this is 
Dagon and this is so Daniel and them was like nonsense <laughs> and then brothers, their brothers just stuck to their classes and whenever they called them by their you know Egyptian name I'm sorry their, their Babylonian names they would say yes how can I help you but whenever they had a platform to speak Daniel chapter 8 I Daniel Daniel chapter 9 me Daniel Daniel chapter 10 I Daniel Daniel never called himself by that pagan name Daniel said I know my name you can call me what you want I, I'll answer you but you know I know my name but that diet, Daniel understood, if I partake of that food, it's going to affect my mind. Mercy. That I cannot choose my God as God has called me to. And for that, Daniel was prepared to possibly lose his life just so he can make sure. It wasn't about just merely, it'll make my liver develop calcifications or, or you know, it, that, that was not primary on Daniel's mind. Daniel was thinking my fidelity to God may be in jeopardy and that was what made him stand in addition to I need to keep my liver healthy spleen and the rest so the point is is that when God gives these instructions to us he's trying to help us understand if you really are battling with sexual passion and temptation and again this could be in a marriage this can be outside of a marriage because again you can lust in your marriage as well you're out of control bottom line you're out of control if any man strives for the mastery, he has to be tempered in all things. Just because God gives you the privilege to do something, he didn't say to do it every day, all day. You understand that? That, that? that will deplete the body in more ways than one. And so God is very, very clear about that. Get that? All right. So Acts chapter 15, verses 19 and 20. The Bible says, Wherefore my sentence is, that we trouble not them which from among the Gentiles are turned to God, but that we write unto them that they abstain from pollution of idols and from fornication and from things strangled and from blood. Notice that even in the New Testament, God says, stay away from the blood. Okay. And so we know beyond any shadow of a doubt that God gave these instructions. How much the more understanding the condition of animals in the last days. God understood what was going to happen in the animal kingdom. And this is what he said about it. Afterwards shall the children of Israel return and seek the Lord their God and David their king and shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. Now, this is dealing with the captivity of the Assyrian kingdom, with the Assyrian kingdom in Israel. But this that's the immediate. But then it has a last day application as well because David was dead. So we know that it can't be a literal time of David. David's gone already. So there's a last day application to this. In that last day application in chapter 4, here's the continuation. Hear the word of the Lord, ye children of Israel, for the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land, because there's no truth, nor mercy, nor knowledge of God in the land. Do we see these things today? No question. By swearing and lying and killing and stealing and committing adultery, they break out and blood touches blood. We see these things happening today. Verse 3 says, Therefore, as a result of this, therefore shall the land mourn, and everyone that dwelleth therein shall languish. That word languish in the Hebrew is to become enfeebled, broken down, diseased, wasting away. What is it that God saw in the last days? And I often say this to those who say Jesus ate fish. I was like, yes, he ate fish, but his spirit told Hosea, in the last days, this is what's going to happen to the fish. He said, therefore shall the land mourn. Everyone that dwelleth therein shall languish. What else is going to languish with the people? Number one, the beasts of the field. Number two, 
the fowls of the heaven. Number three, yea, the fishes of the sea. So God knew that in the last days, the whole animal kingdom was going to become diseased. God knew that. And that's why in love, God said to his people, I want you to come off of this stuff. Not merely because it's going to make you sick and kill you. Not merely because it's going to bring in the cancer and the heart disease and all the things that the World Health Organization and many other organizations are finding out. Not just that, but God understood what got my people right there when they were right at the border of heaven was they began to indulge in appetite and it inebriated their mind that the devil was able to literally pervert each and every one of them. And as a result of that, they fell into sexual sin right at the bank. And so God is saying that, like my heart sincerely goes out to the younger generation, especially single men. Like seriously, sometimes I look at single men, especially if they're good looking, and I go to them. And you know, personally, I don't think anybody's ugly. That's just Dwayne. I don't think anyone's ugly. I think ugly is more of a character than an image. All right. But there are some guys that have looks to such a point that it really causes a lot of women to give them attention. When I see those brothers, I'm like, what are you doing to stay pure? I literally ask them that when they're single. I ask them, what do you do to stay pure? How do you keep yourself from being undefiled? Because you're clearly a good looking person. You got some things going on about you. How are you keeping yourself undefiled? And often they'll say, I'm glad you asked because I'm struggling. And then they start opening up about a lot. And so the bottom line is, is that these young men, these young women are targets. It's unfortunate. And then when we get into the married families, you go to the average married person. Are you married? Yes, I am. Are you happy? And this is where a lot of people are like, and this is why we see, I mean, there's a reason adultery is at an alarming number in the church there's a reason for that okay so you remember that whole uh what is it um enjoy endure escape you know a, a lot of people are in that enduring stage but they're leaning towards the endure escape stage and as a result of that you know sometimes it just takes the right person to come along and some bad stuff happens and so the bottom line is is that a lot of us have these these demons that have been tantalizing us and taunting us perhaps from a child, never got victory over it, never got victory over it. And as a result of that, we carry it into our marriage. But as I often say, demons know how to pack their bags. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Just because you move from the city to the country, the demon's like, oh, yeah, I know how to pack my bag. I can move with you. You know what I'm saying? So the, the key, and, and please, you know, by God forbid that I'm putting down country living. I believe in country living to date, um, you know, and live it by God's grace. So no question country living but sometimes we give more credit to environments and diets and dress than it deserves these things don't make you holy you understand that they don't make you holy so the devil could pack a bag and move with you so it's that's real talk so what god is trying to say is we must be mindful we must be very careful about the reality lord have i ever dealt with these lustful passions that are in my heart there are men my, I've, i used to have women come to me with this but I've, I've blocked it every time and i refuse to discuss it i often will have women wives seven-day adventists present truthers who come to me and say my husband tries to make me do things that i'm not comfortable with and they'll go they'll, they'll get ready to go into specifics up oh, sister <laughs> now watch this you know why you know why? Number one, we're human. And number two, especially if you are, one thing I know, I can't speak for other cultures, but black people, 
we have we, we were taught this even from slavery we often think in pictures we had to you know it kept us from reading and all this stuff so we had to sing songs and do things we had to have very active imaginations all right and what happens is, is when people tell you something we create a picture in our head so if we allow our human nature to kick in when a woman says my husband makes me do blank immediately the devil will say and this is what it looks like <laughs> and before you know it as a, now you have to make sure like okay I don't want to consider my sister in a disrespectful manner so for many reasons I say to you brothers please do not talk with women about their sexual struggles that is way too private you need to pass her on to a consecrated woman you got to do that. So what I'm saying is, is that to date, there are a lot of women. Some of them came to me and a whole lot of them get passed on to my wife. And they will say, my husband makes me do this. My husband makes me do that. And you know what they're doing? These brothers who never got victory are carrying. And even in their single life, they reserve it. They, they keep it in their pocket. But when they get married, they take it out and they unfold it. And they say, okay, all of that pornographic education, I'm going to bring that into my marriage now. And then the woman becomes degraded and all this other stuff. And some women have been degraded and then they bring that garbage into their marriage too. And so what's happening is we got all sorts of perversity that is happening even in what we call consecrated homes. So this is, this is like a very, very big issue. Okay. So what God is saying is you need every weapon that can help you to keep those things at bay. And one of them is diet all right flesh food also is harmful the prophet says it's naturally stimulating effect should be a sufficient argument against its use and the almost universally diseased condition of animals makes it deadly objectionable it tends to irritate the nerves and to excite the passions thus giving the balance of power to the lower propensities councils on diets and foods page 397 this is why the thing you and i need to be careful of is what we eat you understand that but it's not only what we eat it is how much you eat you see you'll notice that that's a whole grain veggie sandwich <laughs> took me time to find that picture <laughs> but you know but it's a whole grain vegetable sandwich but the problem is how much you eat. You see, what did God say about this? God said in his word, behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom. Pride, but then it also said what else? Fullness of bread. That's overeating. It didn't say that what the children of Israel was eating was wrong. It was that they were eating too much of the right thing. But God called it an act of iniquity. You understand that? This was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom, pride, fullness of bread, and abundance of idleness was in her and in her daughters. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor or the needy. This was a great issue with God's people. Indulgence of appetite. And the Bible also says, Deuteronomy 21, 18, I'm sorry, Deuteronomy 21, 18 through 20. For time's sake, write it down if you don't mind. But in Deuteronomy 21, 18, it talks about the child and how if they were a glutton, and a drunkard that the Bible says that that child was to be taken outside by the elders if they could not control themselves and that they were to be stoned to death in other words God took so seriously being a glutton and being a drunkard that God says if they don't get victory over their appetite 
God says it would be better for them not to be alive. Why would God make such a powerful declaration like that? It's very simple because God said very clearly, put a knife to your throat if you be a man given or controlled by appetite. Proverbs 23 and verse 2. So God says if if appetite controls you, God says it would be better for you to just not live. Can you imagine that? I mean, that's, that's a deep conclusion. If your appetite controls you, it is better that you don't live. That's what God was saying. Put a knife to your throat. You see, we're told in inspiration, as beautiful as that tofu looks, we're told in Christian temperance and Bible hygiene, page 51, it is possible to eat immoderately even of wholesome food. It does not follow that because one has discarded the use of hurtful articles of diet, he can eat just as much as he pleases. Overeating? no matter what the quality of the food clogs the living machine and thus hinder it in its work overeating even if it's wholesome food it can clog the living machinery not only that remember the bible says in second corinthians 7 and verse 1 having therefore these promises dearly beloved let us cleanse ourselves from how much all, all filthiness of the flesh and of the spirit Perfecting what? Holiness in the fear of God. What is a way that I can look at that quotation? Notice this. 2 Corinthians 7 and verse 1. What's a way that I can look at this text and understand it or apply it? Notice. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Gluttony is the prevailing sin of this age. Lustful appetite makes slaves of men and women and beclouds their intellect and stupefies their moral sensibilities to such a degree that the sacred, elevated truths of God's word are not appreciated. The lower propensities have ruled men and women. Councils on Diets and Foods, page 32, paragraph 2. Overeating, overeating can cause us to have our intellect so beclouded that now the lower passions are controlling us. It comes natural. The natural feelings come. We have nothing now to resist that evil and submit to God. And so it is that a beautiful article, September 6, 2012, Decision-Making Deficits and Overeating, a Risk Model for Obesity. It's a beautiful study. You should check this whole article out. Um, It says to demonstrate, you can take a picture and that's the website you can look at for it. It's very powerful. To demonstrate that human overeating is not just a passive response to salient environmental triggers and powerful physiological drives, it is also about making choices. Connecting overeating with making choices. They said the ventral medial prefrontal cortex has been strongly implicated in the neural circuitry necessary for making advantageous decisions when various options for action are available. Decision-making deficits have been found in patients with ventral medial prefrontal cortex, lesions, and in those with substance dependence. Impairments that reflect an inability to advantageously assess future consequences. That is, they choose immediate rewards in the face of future long-term negative consequences. Overeating causes such dopamine dysfunctionality that you and I will choose an immediate reward in the face of future long-term negative consequences. 
This is why overeating is so dangerous. And this is why we must learn to eat until you're satisfied, not until you're full. Eat until you're satisfied, not until you're full. The more that you and I do this, it enables the mind to continue to operate in a way that when the temptations come, violent temptations, sexual temptations, you and I will not allow ourselves to get so caught up into the immediate reward that we neglect, wait a minute, what's the long-term consequence of this? And so, my friends, I want to encourage all of us that you truly eat and drink to the glory of God. That you remember that diet also impacts us as it relates to our sexual drive. It's all right to have a sexual drive, and if you're single, you must hold it at bay until you meet the one whom you've pledged your life to. But even when you enter into that marriage covenant, we must remember that this does not say that we now can have loose reign and do what we want at any and every time. There still is to be a time that we wait and that we do what we do and then give ourselves a period of time for rest, recuperation, and also maintain the mere enjoyment of it. And so you'll find that the more that we exercise the wisdom of God in practicing temperance in not only what we eat, but how much even of that which is good that we eat, it actually helps us in controlling those lower passions, which includes sexual passion as well. Do we understand our study? Do we get it? Amen. Amen. How many of us are going to make sure that by the grace of God, that we're going to do what we can to really control our appetites at a better level so that by God's grace, we're always putting ourselves in a position that we can submit to God and resist the evil. Are we willing to do that? Amen. 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 Let's close with a word of prayer and then we'll take a question, okay? All right, let's close with a word of prayer. Our loving Father, we do thank you, Lord, again for the time that we were able to spend just briefly looking at your word, true science, and the day-to-day experiences that we all can relate to, to see that what we eat and what we drink definitely impacts our ability to make decisions, whether they be right or wrong. And Lord, there's a connection with the wrong decisions that so many in our world are making, which is sexual passions and fulfilling them. And we have now seen that diet plays a tremendous role in that. Lord, we're praying that you'll help us to be mindful of what we eat as well as how much we eat and that we always do things that are pleasing in your sight, that give you honor and glory, that helps us to always be in the best place to hear your voice and follow you wheresoever you lead. This is not only my prayer for me, this is our prayer for one another. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.